podcast host Trey Rowland. This is Trey Rowland. Trey Rowland. With another edition of the Rollcast. And even if I'm not your favorite, probably top five, top ten, top twenty. Either way, doesn't really matter. Hey everybody, it's Trey Rowland, and finally, I am back to do another edition of the Rollcast. It's been about eh, a year and three months, but who's count? And we're coming back with a bang because I have we haven't even done the interview yet and I'm probably just going to pre-proclaim him my favorite interviewer of all time this is the two-time two-time wrestling observer newsletter best announcer of the year for 2018-2019 the actual wrestling announcer of the decade for the 2010s former WWF I could say WWE but it pisses me off former WWF announcer talent scout Famous with the mic interviewee, the voice of Ring of Honor, the current voice of New Japan Pro Wrestling, and more importantly for this conversation, Florida State University alum, Kevin Kelly. Kevin, how are you doing, my man? Trey, we brought it together. This is the mega powers colliding, right? Hogan and Savage. This this is is great. This is the predator meme of the two super jack guys doing the old handshake. Yeah. I am extremely excited to talk to you, Kevin, because one of my favorite things online is to figure out who is the like undercover Florida State fan. Like you're famous. You're I'll say it, you're a legend, especially as a voice in the pro wrestling world. Yeah, you're a humble guy. All right. All right. But I think we first communicated online. I wrote an article about Ron Simmons, a.k.a. Farouk. Liked and retweeted. And that's when I found out Kevin is a massive Florida State fan. Yeah. Graduated in 1990, and uh, it was a short journey, a a wild, unpredictable ride that found me into pro wrestling not long after I graduated. When I I graduated, degree in communications, always had in the back of my mind, wanted to be a wrestling announcer, had no idea how I was going to become a wrestling announcer, and it sort of found me when I was working at a small radio station after I got out of school, the local promoter called the station and said, I need, I need a ring announcer and the radio stations promoting at the fair. Would anybody from the station like to announce? And I'm like, give me the phone. <laughs> Just ripped it out of somebody's yeah. hands. So, and that was how it began. So three months after I graduated with no plan, dead broke, burnt out and just tired of everything. I, uh, I, I found myself in wrestling, which is what I wanted to do all along. So not exactly a good plan, for current or future students, don't do what I did. <laughs> That's the Mora. Don't do as I say or what I did. Do they, nothing neither. of that. Yeah. Well, Kevin, I mean, we're and we're going to get to the pro wrestling stuff because if anybody's listened to the Rollcast before, unabashed wrestling fan, just disgustingly massive. It's the sport of kings. It's the sport for the cultured individual. But I want to get to the Florida State stuff first. You graduated in 1990, so you weren't there for the first national championship. But to be honest with you, you might have been there for like the glory days, right? Right before the dynasty really started to kick into gear. How was that being a student at Florida State in the late 80s and early 90s? It was uh, amazing and heartbreaking because we lived and died with wide right. You know, I got I got onto campus the same time of Deion Sanders. The reason I went to Florida State, and this is no lie, watching the Orange Bowl and seeing Ron Simmons play. I was in middle school at the time, and I decided that was where I wanted to go to school. I wanted to go to FSU. And then it was afterward I found out, oh, they have a good communications program. I didn't, didn't care. Matter. Didn't care about it. It's all no. about the sports, baby. <laughs> I was hooked. So, so Coach Bowden's plan to get the program on a bigger, grander stage by playing all those crazy road games mm. brought me into the fold. And you know, here I was and I'm immersed because growing up on the east coast of Florida in Stewart. In oh, between, nice place. Yeah. In between West Palm and Fort Pierce. Yeah. Um, it was all Gator fans at Gators out the wazoo in my high school. Right. So that was how I became a fan. And and 85, 86, 87, you know, it was it was we were right there. We heartbreaking every right. year. So oh. many years. Yeah. So many years. If you could just erase the University of Miami off the map, if it would just splinter off and just just fade off into the Atlantic Ocean. Florida State's looking at like five national championships. I know it, it, it's amazing to think about. And, you know, my wife to this day, we've been together 
we started dating while I was in college. She did. She was in Pennsylvania, which is why I live in Pennsylvania now. Ah, uh, that's why I live in Iowa. I yeah, get see? it, my man. Very smart. Um, but you know, it, it it became like violent hat throwing. You know, uh, damn it, I was spurrier <laughs> with the with a full with the Florida visor. State hat. Yeah, yeah, I just had the full Florida State hat. She couldn't watch games with me because it was so like you know chewing my fingernails and right. just stressful. I stress so hard when I'm watching them. Um, I, I and and they never make things easy, even when no. they beat when they beat Nebraska, right? And the pass interference call, and now all of a sudden the ball's on the other side of the fifty, and I'm like, they're going to blow this. They've already dumped the Gatorade on Coach Bowden, and they are going to freaking blow this with the one second left. We yeah. make our field goal, and then it hangs in the balance of another field goal in '93. And you know it, you know better than anybody because you've seen it live. Oh, they're gonna they're gonna nail this field goal, and Florida State's gonna lose another national championship. Totally, yeah. It was that unsportsmanlike. It added the fifteen yards with a good return, and now here we are. We're in, we're in Barney, and then ninety nine. I felt much more confident. Um, Juggernaut I, of a team. Yeah, they. That just the fact that it got close was close was the only surprise. But they were they were an amazing team, and then of course you know the thirteen squad. It was a a. It was just wonderful to see, right? Because we, I think, we all had a different opi- opinion of Jimbo Fisher at the time than than <laughs> we did when he left the program. And that's, that's a great point, yes, yeah. sir. But at the time, I was celebrating for him. I was celebrating for Bobby Bowden's legacy. I love Jameis. I still do. Mm-hmm. Uh, just loved that team and liked everything about it. And so was was thrilled that they won. I was thinking back to that Pittsburgh game. Um, you know, what Coming a debut out party. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what a freaking debut. But, you know, and, and the last few years have been bleak, uh, to say the least. But you and uh, Coach A.B. and Kevin have really helped me kind of wrap my head around this team with the X's and Knowles because I, I watch every episode. I love I, that. I've, I love I've that. Learned, Thank I, you we, for that. Yeah, we talked earlier today, and I, I I knew you were surprised that I said that, but I watch every one on YouTube. Uh, I, I seek them out. So it, it's just, again, I've learned a lot from, from Kevin and Adam. And I, I love from how, me, which I expect, which wait, I expect. And no, no, I, but I appreciate your talents as the, the, I always say I'm the captain of the ship, and my job is to keep the boat going straight. Right. So that's what you do, because if you let those two go, Right. It would be three hours of jargon, jargon, jargon. Yeah. And now I I love the jargon. Don't get me wrong. They've made me better Madden players. Uh, (laughs) But it's um, it's just a great balance of the fun, comedic, loose atmosphere that you bring, whereas those guys are are more analytic. And I could tell, like, if if they if they ever reboot, you know, the the Bears fans, the Bears, I mean, which Adam needs to be a part of that. Oh, yeah. he looks like he could choke on a polar sausage in the lining of his heart. It's a baker's dozen. That's a baker's dozen, <laughs> Bab. <laughs> but I just I, I love the uh, I love the atmosphere and the way everything is uh, surrounding it. And it's really helped me get ready for it for this season. I was so disappointed with um, Willie Taggart, but I was thrilled when, you know, when when Mike came on board, I just believe in in what our coach is doing. And I believe the mission and I believe he's going to get there. So that's good. I'll I'll get to more because it's always, especially recently, it's way more fun talking about the old good old days, which seem further and further away just with how bad it's been. But I am interested in your opinion of the current team. I mean, was Mike Norvell somebody you knew about as a, you're an insanely busy guy. So you're the, you're actually the kind of the perfect audience that we like to do on the triple options. Like the busy fan, living his life, cut through all the BS and just tell me what I need to see on the field. So based on kind of the stuff that you've seen, the info that you've just ingested, what do you, what do you think of Mike Norvell? What did you think of the football team last year? What do you think of the direction? Well, as far as Mike Norvell was concerned, it was just following the media reports and knowing that after they made what they thought was the splashy hire in Taggart, then they were going to go more of the smaller college or coordinator route. Mm-hmm. So I was okay with that, but I didn't know one name on the list. I of course knew Memphis football, but right. um, because that's where Jerry Lawler wrestled. So that's how I, I always sort of followed that. I love it. The connections anyway, always, it always there. does back to Lance Russell. Um, 
So I knew of the team, but I did. I, I had never seen them play. I had never seen them take the field. When he was hired, though, when I saw that presentation as he walked down Doak Campbell mm -hmm. and the, the band is playing the war chant, I was just psyched. And then I heard his opening speech and I was like, OK, I'm in. Then the voice in the back of my head was saying, didn't Willie Taggart say some of the same stuff? And I was like, shut up, voice in the back of my head. <laughs> I'm moving on. We're moving on to, to uh, <laughs> we're moving Bigger on to better. Norvell. Yeah. Right. Um, last year was was the ultimate asterisk season because we didn't know week to week whether or not we were going to play i agree with that so I, agree with that. I don't look at it as a three-win team i don't think anybody could well that was only a three-win team last year can you imagine what those players went through like they get a new coach and they don't know whether or not they're going to play and they have to wear masks and they're not your day-to-day or week-to-week -week whether or not they're going to be suiting up it just had to be football players are very regimented Correct. And they need to be at like 18, 19, 20, especially in Tallahassee. You and I both know yeah. it's just, just hedonist paradise. It's of just course. so many ways to just, just defile yourself. You go to the library. I mean, you stay late, you study for classes, you're putting extra. Wait, we didn't, I didn't do any of those things. Um, uh, where's the library? <laughs> yeah. Right. But the, um, so I don't look at last year as anything other than just, that was a big year of practice and figuring out where the needs were. And they went out aggressively in the transfer market. Again, I have no idea if Florida State got more transfers than anybody else or if About. they were. Yeah, it, it sure seemed like they, they brought in a lot of new players. And everybody seems to kind of come from a system that almost closely relates to what they want. Very fair. And you can specifically see, and I'm with you, Kevin, 2020 was largely just reps for the young guys. There was no spring. It was a new coach. The, the culture, as you could tell, was rotted by a lot mm -hmm. of the guys that ended up leaving as soon as like a lot of the people packed it in right in the middle of the season. But you could specifically see the vision of what they want on the defensive side of the ball. You're talking like eight to nine new transfers, Jermaine Johnson, the defensive end from Georgia, Keir Thomas, the defensive end from South Carolina, Jamie Robinson, who's going to play a lot of that nickel safety. As you could tell, we just got burned, like set on fire in the slot last year from tiny, the tiny little like guys that look like me, like yeah. little tiny white dudes. Not great. Not great. <laughs> Between that and Stephen Dix Jr. getting burned on, you know, uh, tight Everything. end routes. <laughs> ah! But, you know, when I watched, uh, you know, I was watching their um, strength and conditioning program, and he talked about putting on 40 pounds of muscle. I was like, what? The gains That's... are stupid. And you've seen gains. You're working in pro wrestling. I know. It, it's ridiculous. And these guys are all natural. They, they have to take drug tests. Um, right. But it's – that's a lot of hard work. So, okay. Does it pay off in wins? We'll see, but the buy-in is there. I look at offensively Mackenzie Milton to me is the most exciting uh, and, and the most important. I, nobody's saying it. You guys weren't saying it. He has to be the starter, right? He has to be the first quarterback on the field with, with uh, Jordan Travis as the change of pace guy. To me, and you could tell, like now, as soon as Jordan Travis got introduced last year, it was it, it's almost akin to like when you have to play a Georgia Tech, when you catch a team off guard and you saw at the beginning. And then, of course, Jordan Travis got banged up with how much he's running. We were a tough team to prepare for. However, when you start to get the beat on Florida State, when you're when you overwhelm their offensive line with better players, when you can stop the run, we weren't a team that could challenge you vertically. Right now, McKenzie Milton. He doesn't have the greatest arm, but he's got good touch and he can throw a pretty good deep ball. He can push it aggressively. That just opens up all the space for everybody. So I'm actually of the opinion. I'm with you. If you, if you got a McKenzie Milton at 75%, 80%, I think, I think he needs to be your starter with a healthy dose of Jordan Travis. Number one, because I think that gives you the best opportunity to win in my opinion, but number two, Florida state, we're not there yet. And we've got a just, hellacious schedule if they've got to prepare for two quarterbacks make prepping for florida state as hard as we can take the focus off our linebackers who are hot shit and like just but not in a good way like right. bad hot shit and put the focus on oh i've got to i've got to prepare for almost two different offenses so i'm with right. you 100 percent. so do, are I you feeling do you have like win predictions in mind what would be a successful season for you kevin kelly hmm 
tough well, questions I'm, here. Yeah, it is. And because it's a week to week thing. Football's always week to week for me. And I almost look at the end like, okay, they wound up good. If, if they get really banged up, they don't have the depth. But I mean, if they no. win seven games, I'm Massive. happy. I, so I, think, I. I think seven and I'm happy. And I'm really excited for the future. If they don't, it'll depend on the circumstances. Because uh, they don't have the depth. And if key positions get banged up, like if Andrew Parchment turns out to be a dud, a dud, yeah, then okay. Now our receiving core is real thin and mm-hmm. uh, you know unproven. Um, and if the linebacking play isn't isn't improved, but if the secondary, which looks good on paper, if they suffer some injuries, now we're we're not as bad as we were last year where we had Correct. three DBs, but we can at least. Uh, you know, you can at least say, all right, if not for the injuries, this team would have been better. But, and, and I know that Norvell won't sat, will stand for that. He'll be like, no, we should have prepared better, worked harder, done whatever That's we the needed. Coach stuff. He'll say coach, the coach stuff. Coach speak. Exactly. Um, I went back and I watched 2017 season highlights of Mackenzie Milton on ah, YouTube. Those are fun. Those are very fun. I, I don't, I'm on this weird sleep schedule right now where I, you know, it's like five o'clock in the morning and I'm going to bed, which is really unlike me, but yeah. um, I, they ran a very similar offense to what Florida state runs. It, it seemed to me right with the vertical passes and the zone reads and a lot of scooching around from Milton to find gaps, to find openings, to sidearm, to this, to dink, to dunk. But I think they had better receivers than we do. Right. Yeah, I'd say so. And it was the offenses. There were some similarities, but the things that UCF was asking Milton to do shot plays, vertical explosion, take care of the ball, get some tempo, get the defense off pace with like a little bit of tempo, a a guy who can see the entire field. We really haven't had a quarterback that could attack like the middle of the defense, like just in that second level in many, many years. Yeah. uh, Jameis did. But then even like, you know, EJ Manuel and Christian Ponder both had moments, but I don't think ever I felt truly confident with them. I certainly didn't with Chris Ricks, you know, it's. Oh, Chris, man. Well, talk about a roller coaster of a guy to watch. Yeah. I mean, he has that one uh, touchdown in Gainesville, right? PK Sam, the Uh, highlight every time. It's a, it's a, I was actually there live as a 10 getting cussed out in the swamp. Just fantastic stuff. Tremendous. Yeah. But like you said, it's been, it's been a while. So we, it remains to be seen. I enjoy your level of nuance though. A lot, there's a lot of people that, they're stuck on the win number, and I get it. We're mm-hmm. a storied program. We're punt rooskies. We're national championships. We're wire to wire. 14 years in the top five. Unheard of, won't be broken. So scrounging for six wins, it hits people in the mouth the wrong way. But, guys, this is a year you got to evaluate the quality of play and the results. Don't just focus on the results, or you'll suffocate yourself with a plastic bag in agony. It's a... Uh, recipe for failure. It's almost like if you were back in the territory days, right? You're looking at the way the business was uh-huh. in a particular territory, Yep. but they're bringing you in and you get there your first night and there's half a house and you're like, oh my God, yes, it's on you to bring this back to where we were. Sell the tickets, brother. That's it. So you, you go, oh my God, business is on its ass. Well, that's why you got the job. That's the reason why they brought Mike Norvell in because business was on its ass. And that's the reason why he and and coach Atkins and Odell and Dugans and every coach at, at, you know, on the recruiting side is going out and preaching the story of, and you guys hit it perfectly the other night. We need you. You You come to this program. Yes. Do you want to be LaMarcus Joyner? Do you want to be Timmy Jernigan? You got to get, you have to have some guys that will take that leap of faith. And there's a kid coming in. I don't know how, are you pretty familiar with Travis Hunter? That huh? his what do you have? Like 13, he's defense, but he had like 13 catches and 200 some odd yards. Yeah. Yeah. He's the best. He's the best offensive player and the best defensive player in the entire country. He's going to play and do whatever, but that's a cornerstone. That's a guy yeah. who's going to put the asses in the seats. Yeah, I know. And, and we've been there with, you know, Derwin James, uh, was certainly that, you know, and even before that Myron role, I mean, we were all yep. excited about Myron role who turned out to be a better doctor than a football player, 
but so be it. But he's a great, uh, he's a great doctor. So it's great. almost like we will give you some slack there because you are a neurosurgeon. Yes, he is. He was so so on the gridiron, but he is the absolute best with the scalpel in his hand. Absolutely. Just Gray's anatomy me, for days. Let me ask you this. If you uh-huh. had. OK, so beyond this, Kev, Kevin, of course, loves Tate Rotomaker. Yes, I'm a nerd for the X's and O's. He who sees more time this year. Do we want to even see Chuba and Tate play? Does that mean that Mackenzie Milton and Jordan Travis, A, didn't get it done or B, are hurt? Uh, and if so, who saw who who do you think would see more playing time, Chuba or Tate? To me, the only way I'd want to see him play is in blowouts. So mm-hmm. I don't not going to be too many of them. Walt Bell, we're coming for that ass. See a UMass. That's going to be a tough one for you. Yeah. If you see them play, it will be because of injury. And if you do see them play, I'm of the opinion. Sorry, Kev, you're a wonderful human being. It's Chubba Purdy. Chubba Purdy is more physically ready. And Tate Rotomaker was the QB2 of that class. He was the developmental project. He's got some surprising athleticism. It's just when you're a team where you're really playing at the margins right now, like Florida State, you got to have somebody who just takes care of the ball. Both of them don't do it that well, but Chubba's slightly better, in my opinion. Yeah, and I remember... I think I think it was a Coach Bowden quote that talked about freshmen having to play, and the more fresh, if you have to play a freshman, your team is going to. I forget what the number was. He said it was like a a loss for every freshman, or some somebody said some Bowdenism, something great. It was a Bowdenism, and yeah. And how many true freshmen did we suit up last year? And uh, too many too at quarterback. Many. For Florida State? What are we kidding? That's how crazy last year was. But again, there's going to be 80,000 in Doak on September the 5th mm-hmm. for Notre Dame, which is going to be awesome. And the hopefully the season will go through without any hitches or hiccups COVID-wise, and then we can settle into a sense of normalcy. But it'll be exciting for the fans. It'll be great for the players. And I, I just think that that enthusiasm is going to come out on, on the field of play. I agree with you a hundred percent. And speaking of enthusiasm, Kevin Kelly, I don't know if you know, uh, you were a part of some of the most enthusiastic, energetic moments of my young adult life. When you were in the WWE, the attitude era. Yep. You were there. I was you there when it was, I was there when it was good. When it was great, you were there at Brian Pillman's house. Yes, when my man got a gun, you were there getting Jesus Christ. I hope The Rock ran some of those lines by you. Brutal, Dwayne. I know you seem like a fantastic fellow, just verbally acidic. You were there for all that stuff. You were personally attacked by Stone Cold Steve Austin in 2001. Yes, unreal. What? What was that? What was that like? And just describe because you went through a multitude of roles, obviously interviewer, play by play guy, host of a web series called Bite This, which like a lot of people don't know about deep cut for wrestling. A lot of big kind of behind the scenes backstage stuff happened on that web show. A lot of people let their guard down, Um, had a role in creative. I believe the Triple H. Uh, Stephanie McMahon wedding. We had it. We had a part in right. Creatively just throwing the idea out there. Yeah. (laughs) Absurd, but in the best professionally wrestling way possible and a talent scout, man, just describe what it was like to be there, the excitement. And then ultimately in 2003, why it was time to part ways. Well, they, they, you never have just one job in WWE when you're an announcer, that is like, you know, well, what else are you going to do? And I found that out kind of the hard way at the end of my first year. So I was like, well, I, I had already become friends with the guys who ran the then AOL site. That's how ah, far back this was. Now we're talking, now we're talking old school. And, and Vince <laughs> Russo, who was part of the producing team on, on the road and, and was the editor of the magazines. I was like, I want to write, I want to do creative stuff like this. And they yeah. said, yeah, come on over. So I started doing that and then bouncing back and forth between the office and the TV studio. And it just sort of grew in, in 96, 97 business wasn't great. And it really started to come alive. It took really almost a year and a half for off the Austin effect from the minute he said, June 23rd, 1996, Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass to then almost 98 
where that full calendar year was nothing but road, you know, packed houses and successes over and over. And the Mike Tyson is kind of that's what people think. They think they almost think it was like a like a time warp from I just whooped your ass, Jake, the snake, Roberts, Austin, 316 to Mike Tyson pushing Steve Austin. What you don't forget is the 96, the neck injury with Owen Hart. And to be honest with you, dude, 97 might be one of my is, is the underrated gem of the WWF. Mick Foley's debut in few with The Undertaker. Bret Hart as a heel is just the Canadian faction. Yeah. Just great years. But it's a long time for that momentum to build. And you right. got to see the climb. Did you think while you were there that could you feel the phenomenon building? Or were you just as taken aback that this guy is arguably the most popular professional wrestler ever? Well, we also had, uh, you know, as fate would have it, Rocky Maivia debuts in November of 96. High hopes pinned on him. Uh-huh. Then, he hurts his, then he hurts his knee and he goes away. And while he's away, he's like, this is what I'm doing. It ain't working. I want to come back and do the, the rock thing, to, speaking to third person. So he comes back and it adds a whole other dimension. We were getting emails all the time that would say, hey, congratulations to the live events team. We just had a gross house in Pittsburgh of $150,000. Congratulations. Yeah. And everybody's kind of high-fiving and whooping it up. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, let's not celebrate. Right. That's what, 6,000 tickets in an 11,000 seat building? There's room to grow. So don't get don't get happy and complacent with half a house. Sure. Let's see where this can go. Now, when we're talking four or five hundred thousand dollar houses, they did a four hundred and fifty thousand dollar house on like December 30th in Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> the day before New Year's Eve <laughs> with I think Jerry Lawler. And it was a tag main event. Jerry Lawler was a part of it. So, of course, that helped. Mm-hmm. But like D'Lo Brown was in that match, I think, as well. Some of the stars weren't there, but it was. It was star packed enough to where it, but $450,000 a sellout out of control. So um, we knew I could feel, and the old saying was the territory is fixing a pop. Mm-hmm. We knew it. We knew it was, and it was just, okay, how can we manage this so that you elongate the, the rise up? Cause if you hot shot it too much, it's going to collapse and business is going to go down lower than it Fizzle. was before. Correct. So that was the push and the pull with Vince Russo and uh, Jim Cornette and that wrestling side. When I was on Cornette's side, I worked with Russo, but I was on the Cornette side because I, I knew the wrestling business and its history. Right. And, but to Russo's credit, he wanted to turn wrestling on its ear, which is what Vince challenged everybody to do when the ratings were in the toilet in February of 97. And he called a meeting and Vince Russo happened to have a raw magazine in his bag and said, here, this is what we need to be doing. We need to be shooting with the people. Right. And he might've been talking out his ass, but you know what? It worked because he got believable. He got Vince (laughs) thinking in that direction. So then it was all on board with that. And one thing that we did that hadn't been done before is, is we kind of brought all the departments together. And so I would host meetings just to kind of smarten everybody up a little bit as to, Hey, here's where we're going creatively with some things. Um, See, long-term planning, it's something that is really a lost art. And it's funny that the promotion that perfected it, the WWF, and the reason that they ultimately won was because of the long-term planning. mm -hmm. Nobody really does it anymore. No, Vince would always know what his WrestleMania main event that he wanted to have uh, six months to a year before it happened. And, (sighs) And that's, so then everything builds towards that moment. Okay, cool. Um, as the company got bigger, as it went public, as it had more success, it was almost burdened by that success. And they started hiring like layers of vice presidentia, mm. not necessarily boots on the ground, people who had wrestling experience, but this guy came from this firm and this company and this, you know, entertainment this writer division. from general hospital and days oh, of they, our lives. Yeah. That was, that, that was after yeah. I left. Cause they had, it was a small writing team at first. So I'm like, I'm not so sure that's the right way to go. And then, Business goes down because why Steve turned heel and the rock went to Hollywood to make movies. Chasm, it took chasm of talent. It took, that was 2001 right after WrestleMania 17. Yep. And I got let go in March of 2003. So the same amount of time from where the Genesis happened, June 23rd, 96 to where we were seeing 
it's soon to be peak, but where we could really say business is back. Mm -hmm. That same amount of time, it took about half of that time for it to fall off the cliff after those two stars left. And they had been going department by department by department, cutting, cutting, cutting. Yeah. Not layers of vice presidentia. Oh, no, no. But no, rather just the guys who actually know what they're talking about, like my guy Kevin Kelly. Yeah. And, and when I, uh, they had tried to fire me like a year or so before that, how, I was in like, talk yourself out of it. How'd that yeah, go? I did. I did. I love it. <laughs> I, I went in and I said, you don't understand all that I do. And I started g- going about my work in talent relations, plus hosting by this, plus doing this stuff with television, plus, 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 plus. You guys are crazy. You're going to have to hire five people to do what I do. And they thought about it and said, okay, we'll keep you. And then, hey, another year of paychecks. We'll Got another it. year. But Long, um, longer than the XFL lasted. True. Because I wanted to. Oh, the XFL. Uh, bad, bad move, Kevin. Here's what I do. Um, somebody, Vince or somebody said, does anybody have any questions about the XFL? And I raised my hand and I said, oh. are you worried about the, yeah. You worried about the people being stretched too thin because the same folks that are doing production for the XFL are also working on Ron Spector. What a wonderful and well thought out question that I'm sure was received positively. Talk about a self-inflicted wound. Seppuku, just stab right in the gut, brother. It was bad. It was bad. It was bad. Um, So everything that was so great, you know, quickly turned downward. And when I left, I never really looked back. I didn't know what I was going to do outside of wrestling. Uh, You know, it wasn't the three months from post Florida State Uh finding my way into the wrestling business. I was kind of like out of the wrestling business for a good long while. Working a little bit here and there, but then when Jim Cornette left TNA and went to Ring of Honor, that's when I sent him an email and he said, yeah, I definitely could uh, could use you. And so then I started working for them in 09 and then through that became the relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling. And then when they expanded having English commentary on New Japan World, that's when I started doing that. Now you the era and it's so interesting that the time you left it's it's much different than the wrestling business today the wrestling business today is actually thriving may not be as popular as the the main promotion was in 98 99 but you could argue overall healthier a lot of good independent promotions AEW is getting pressed but new japan pro wrestling is one of the best organizations as far as the quality of work in the entire world and it has been going on like five or six years it's been great Spawn Kenny Omega, all that stuff. So it's very healthy. You've got NWA. You've got you've got everything. You've still got Ring of Honor, but the time you went, independent wrestling was different. However, by the time you got in, because I was a lapsed fan in college, professional wrestling was not my was not something I was that interested in until kind of like the prevalence of YouTube, and that's when you started getting into the Ring of Honor stuff. The Brian Danielsons, the Daniel Bryans, the Claudio right. Castagnolis, the ah. CM Punks, the Chris Heroes, all that. And you were you were there for like the golden age of Ring of Honor. What what was that like? Well, I was and and by the way, you're not alone because if you're a wrestling fan in college, you might as well just spray girl repellent. Never on you. talked about it. It was it was verboten. I never talked about it at all. And I only I'm married now and my wife puts up with my dumbass shit. So it doesn't matter what I portray to the world. So you can, I can it's like, it feels like it's cooler now. I could just be wrong. But no, in college, it, dude, yeah. we never talked about it. And, See, but I, I did. It on YouTube. I drove my friends crazy because none of them were wrestling fans. But I had to watch WCW Saturday Night, 605 oh, there you and, go. on TBS. Um, and it was, uh, wrestling is cool now because of the guys that paid their dues in Ring of Honor. I agree. They, they brought a style and you mentioned key names like Chris Hero and Claudio Castagnoli were the greatest tag team folks probably never heard of. Kings of wrestling. Claudio Castagnoli is Cesaro now in WWE because everybody has to be one name like they're Uh, fucking Pele or something. Right. Because Vince thinks everyone is stupid. I'll give you a for instance and you can use this (laughs) as a as a uh, a, a, what do they call that? A a click clickbait. Yeah. Love clickbait. I'm going to give you listening. Clip this out. 1996, Vince McMahon doing voiceovers for Monday Night Raw. And he says to a room of us who are sitting 
listening to the VOs being produced. Uh-huh. You know, I just saw the funniest movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, really, Vince? What was it? Kingpin. Ha ha ha. <laughs> that's that's Vince's sense of humor. Poop jokes, gross jokes. And Woody Harrelson banging some old landlord. <laughs> right? <laughs> he lives it, dude. And it shows in the product. It, it shows looks- in the product. Like it has to be. There was no depth to comedy range in that. We're not talking Seinfeld. It's not yeah. some like it hot. You know, this is. I do this- enjoy Kingpin, though. I love Bill Murray in that. You can't fact, go wrong, Munson. Yeah. You can't go wrong with Kingpin, right? But that's to me, that's. I could never put a finger on Vince personally, but that to me was like, okay, I get him now. I understand him. Mm-hmm. Poop jokes, fart jokes, gross jokes. That's his style. That's his sense of humor. And he put that, he puts that out on television. So it's, it's going to be very simple, very easily digestible. Wrestling does work best when it's easily digestible. It's comfort food, right? Good versus evil. I like this guy. I don't like this guy. Right. You give me the reason and personal issues draw money. Jerry Jarrett had it on his desk. You give me a reason why one guy I like, one guy I don't like, and you make me interested in seeing them fight. Now you got my business. Now you got my attention. I agree. And it's funny. It's, it's, and this is something that you and I could talk with for hours. I'm not yes. going to. I almost feel like the Attitude Era did so well because they played in the gray area because it never been done before. But right. the business of professional wrestling kind of painted itself in a box because now the heel's cool. So the face has to be the cool heel. And then it's hard. How do you make a bad guy that people actually hate? Because if they're beating the shit out of everybody, just like Stone Cold Steve Austin was, he's the most popular guy in the company. So it's, it's, a, it's something that I don't think the business has ever really found itself out of. It, it, it just leads to, and, and then the, okay, so what we need is we need a constant flow of fresh talent because guy comes in, does bad things, boo. But then after a very short period of time, it's going to be, yay, this guy's cool. He does bad things. Now we need new bad guy to come in and stop him. It's a meat grinder. Exactly. But we have guaranteed contracts in wrestling. So now what do you do? You repackage somebody? No, you have to physically cool them off, make them look stupid to be able to come back around full circle. Okay, but that doesn't work because exactly. people aren't stupid. No. And, and if you treat the audience like they're stupid, no matter how simple and digestible you make it, they're going to barf on the whole meal. <laughs> That's so true. So it, it's, a, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't moment because what do you do? You got cool heels now. Everybody likes it. They want to sell their T-shirts. A company wants to sell T-shirts because they make money from it. Okay, but we don't have the churn. Oh, that's all right, pal. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it all out. Right, figure it out. It'll be all right. We'll figure it out. Don't Get in worry the brain, pal. <laughs> so that's so I, I do see both sides. I see the way Vince sees the wrestling business. I don't agree with it. I don't watch it. That's people that go on Twitter and complain about the WWE. Why do they watch it? I never understood that. Switch it off, man. There's so Nobody much. Showed- it's like There's clockwork so, orange. They're not yeah. killing your eyelids back, man. <laughs> There's so much you can do uh, and so much other great wrestling out there. You're going to find something you like. Pick a pick a letter in the alphabet. You're going to find a three-letter promotion that's going to speak to you, whether it's AAW <laughs> in Chicago, which is really kick-ass, all the way down to, let me think, Warrior Wrestling in, in Chicago. They do some really cool things. GCW, the home of the hardcore king, Nick Gage. It's crazy, right? That that thing is a mind blower. Find what you want. Just Google search and start going. And do get lost down a rabbit hole. And you'll meet different people. You'll make new friends. That's why I tell people all the time, New Japan Pro Wrestling has a lot of, I wouldn't say lapsed fans, but more of things get in the way and I don't watch all the time. So I'm constantly doing like just quick resets to, to last month or two, three months ago, just so in case you missed it. So you could pick right back up where you left off. And we will get to, I want to talk about the work you're doing at New Japan Pro Wrestling, or at the very least, show everybody what you're doing. Because the stuff you're doing right now, it, it's up there with the best stuff you've done in your entire career. And you've got Thank great you. storylines to work with. Now, 
just a couple more stuff from the WWF. And I think it is funny that we talked about the, the coinciding of the promotion success. And it took a guy in the rock who's from the university of Miami to basically get famous by stealing Deion Sanders gimmick. That's neither here nor there talking about himself in the third person already been done, Dwayne. However, you did it well. You were there and you mentioned it. Ron Simmons, mm-hmm. Farouk in the WWF. You're the reason you went to Florida state university. You were there during his peak in the WWF. Got any good Ron Simmons stories? What was it like talking of just chopping it up with a Florida State legend? And are there any other secret Florida State fans besides you and Ron that were on the roster at the time? At the time, no, we were the only ones. I was before uh, Michelle McCool, uh, oh, who, yeah, there who you go. is a, an undergrad. Um, Ron and I always got along great because as soon as I met him, I said, hey, I was on the field covering the game for Seminole Uprising uh-huh. when when you when they retired your jersey. And that's it. You're good for life. Yeah. And so it was every time he saw me. Hello, fellow alumnus. And <laughs> Dang. <laughs> we just again, we always got along great. The, the most drunk I have ever been in my whole life was with him, Godfather, Bradshaw and Teddy Long at a hotel in Los Angeles because <laughs> it was somebody's birthday. I can't remember which of the four it was. And you'll, and you'll never remember. <laughs> it was Jack Daniels all night. And it was, wasn't just me with those guys. It was a whole bunch of people came, people coming in and out, but I was sort of locked into the chair. Things got blurry at some point. And I uh-huh. woke up on the hotel floor at about, I don't know, 1030 in the morning. And I'm like, oh, shit, we've got a production meeting in an hour and a half. And I've got to drive across. I got to drive from Anaheim to the Staples Center. Shower, dress, boom, in the car, racing up the road. I and that. I am hung over like a dog. Yeah, and I, as soon as I get in there, I know they're going to see this. I know they're going to spot me and go, ah, drunk guy. Yeah. Thank God. Some of the per- through. I made it through some of the production assistants went on their own little excursion and one got so drunk that he woke up drunk the next morning and threw up on the side of the car driving to the production meeting, which he couldn't make because he was so hungover. And I was like, what about those guys? And how well, drunk I remember got, my huh? first beer. Oh, oh, <laughs> thank God. Dodged a huge bullet, but that's what it was like with Ron. And John and, yeah. and Godfather is it was a party. And if you didn't want to drink with them, that was OK. You were going to be called a, a rude name. Yeah. So you drank with them and you loved it. And we just the the leadership that Ron brought, which I'm, I know had to be instilled from Bobby Bowden. Absolutely. He, he grew up really poor and didn't have a lot. And the stories kind of that he told and was able to fight his way up and out, you know, whether it was coach Bowden or coach coach and a combination of other people, he got to where he needed to be, you know, was the first African-American NWA world champion in 92. Yep. Uh, And it was a huge deal. He's, he's in the history books forever. He's a hall of famer. He's a Florida state, uh, you know, retired Jersey. He's at all. He was all American. What? Three times. It was yeah, ridiculous. Tough, as a defensive tackle. Like yeah. A nose guard. One of the, was he, was he like a, was he a Heisman finalist? I believe so. He's yeah. one of the, he's one of, in my opinion, one of the best four players in the history of the school. Yeah. And then he went, unfortunately he went to a four, three team and they tried to convert him to a tackle. He was too small linebacker. He wasn't fast tweener enough. Kind of deal. His tweener. Yeah. He was like, uh, he was that overachieving nose guard who was going to just do whatever he could at 260 pounds to eat up as much as he could. Exactly. Uh, But just an incredible guy and loved spending every moment I could with him. Some of the most memorable experiences from people that grew up during the Attitude Era were the interviews you had with The Rock. I saw one the other day. He made you put your finger in your nose for about eight minutes. Right. Did, did, and from everything I've heard, University Miami Hurricane shit aside. I heard the Rock's a great guy. Yes. Now, did he go over that with you? How much of that was ad lib? He had some very colorful non-2021 nicknames for you, my friend. Yeah, right. Did you guys did you guys talk about any of that beforehand? Or were you just you're a consummate professional? We'll play off of each other and it'll be organic. 
he would let me know if there was a real zinger coming or when he planned <laughs> see that one pissed me off not because the rock explained it to me but because this douchey little writer who works for him still he explained it to me and i was like all right Schmerz. yeah yes it does <laughs> i just went asshole whatever and then i said watch this i'll get it over and, and it i did was yeah it, it was huge so that yeah. was that was something that and that's that's the spirit of pro wrestling right i'll take yeah. it and i'll sell i'll sell tickets with we'll, right like and, and i'll be the guy who's holding the stick for the second or first most popular guy in the company easiest I'm job in, in the world now. just shape shape his face with the microphone as get he the moves. Pro, get the profile that's it I, that's all i had to do and then what i was trying to do was I never had to worry about laughing, even though there were some really funny moments because I was so in the zone. Yeah. But I would try to do like a little look off camera, like to the fans and make some strange face and pop the 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 crew that was actually shooting it. <laughs> we never pre-taped one of them. They were all, all live. They were all live, live. Never busted a take. Never had to redo. Never had to do anything. They were all live. Now, you remember the one where he blacked my tooth? Yes, it's all like, over you. It's the best we stuff on wrestling we YouTube. We didn't practice that. He just kind of was like, how are we going to turn? <laughs> and then I'll put it up there and then I'll, I'll try to smile. I love and it, it. And so awkward. It was so you, uh, it the was modern just, day mean gene, dude, because interviewing oh, is a skill. Yeah, I had to be different than Oakland. Correct. It, you know, because Oakland was always cool and. You know, like I, I pictured him, you know, kind of smoking a butt and stamping yeah. out of stamping out of Winston and saying, all right, let's shoot this, you know. Yeah. So um, but that was my fun. And 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 again, when uh, when I did those interviews with then Rocky Maivia before his debut in 96, we got coach Dennis Erickson to give me some sound on tape about Dwayne. Oh, that's great. Which, which we put into the feature. I got footage from Florida State from the florida state miami game sack where charlie ward he got a sack on charlie ward but it was the horse was out of the barn by that point which we uh -huh. we don't tell in the story no 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 we uh, that's fine that's details yeah. finer details Kevin. i was like can we flash up just the panel with the the final just to show that everything turned no okay all right i <laughs> figured i'd try but it was a um and then we got footage i i'm pretty sure somebody got footage from bobby bowden got some sound on tape on Ron or they just replayed the stuff that WCW had gotten. Right. Um, but yeah, we, it was always like, okay, if let's, let's reach out to the, you know, the SID and see if we can get, get sound on tape from the coach. Cause the, you're talking about one of the most quotable, if not of all time, Bobby Bowden. Oh the guy is just a quote. He could have been a wonderful professionally wrestling announcer or manager guy. The guy he would have been so perfect. He would have been so perfect in like the 1950s and 60s he would have to be in alabama right yeah. he would have he would have had to have done gulf coast wrestling working for the fields brothers because he just sounded like the people in the audience and he they wouldn't smarten him up and he would just call what he saw and he would express disgust at the heels and and cheer the baby faces and invite everybody to come down and see them at the Beltwell auditorium or wherever they were going to be and it would have been perfect. It would have been perfect. He would have been a godsend. That promotion, every any promotion that he could have worked for in that region would have loved to have had him. Now, Kevin, I, I, I mentioned it before. Two-time Wrestling Observer Announcer of the Year. The voice of the 2010s, according to the most respected wrestling publication there is. You've done everything. What's the moment that you're, is there one moment in professional wrestling that really sticks out to you? Like, man, I'm really proud of that. And is there one match that sticks out to you? Like I was, it was the best match I've ever called either for the match quality or your personal performance. There were a couple of moments and you had mentioned like, kind of like my little uh, assistance on the creative end, which really was just an open door policy. If you had an idea, you could send it to Vince and et cetera. Which is and so they, cool. Yeah. They, they took it. Now it's so corporate and regimented it's red tape yeah, yeah. that would Big never work chart. yeah but um being able to kind of see those things come to life was pretty cool yeah um and then in terms of like in my time in wwe wrestlemania 17 where we're at the astrodome 
Matt, uh, biggest WrestleMania of all time, and yeah. uh, from a quality wise, th- the best, right? It's, yeah. it's it's tough. It's tough picking. It's a subjective deal, but it's fans. Fans give it the thumbs down only because the heel won in the main event, which was Stone Cold Steve Austin, if, which in was Texas. A- which what a wonderful yeah. meal. You're gonna get people in Texas to boo Stone Cold. Okay, it was supposed to happen the year before, but Steve was hurt, so that's why they did it then. Okay, that's the reason. Mm. Anyway. So those are two like real standout moments. And then of course, match quality. And, and the phrase I always say is I'm a prisoner of the moment. The most recent match is the best match I ever called. Um, <laughs> 48 minutes and five seconds this past January's uh, Wrestle Kingdom uh, match with Kota Ibushi and Jay White was to me amazing. And, and at the end of it, you know, they caught the three of us at ringside giving Ibushi a standing ovation and Ibushi didn't know I was there and he saw me. Yeah. He, he didn't know. And he saw me and then went, Oh, and so his reaction, like made me cheer up a little bit. Yeah. It was just so cool. But you know, those, those matches with that series with Omega and Okada and God, those are to me, especially, and I don't know if it gets talked about enough. Everybody talks about the one where Kenny finally won the third one. To me, the second match, having the balls to do a 60-minute time limit draw and it being – that's the best wrestling match I think I've seen since, like, Brett Noen at WrestleMania 10. Yeah. Like, I, I love it. I love it. And the fact that you got to be a part of that, man. Oh. Yeah, it was it was uh, absolutely wonderful. But then I'm a, I'm a nerd, too, and I love matches like Tanahashi versus Zack Sabre Jr. from the G1. And the reason that I love it, is because neither of them hit the ropes during the entire match. There wasn't one spot in the match where somebody grabbed the arm and shot the other guy off. And for you what? guys who are more FSU guys than professional wrestling guys like Kevin and I, Zack Sabre Jr. is like a technical, think of like a hoist Gracie and like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. This is a guy who wrestles like in the, the British world of sport, all holds, all locks against Hiroshi Tanahashi, who is for better or worse, I'm not trying to be derogatory here, He's the Japanese John Cena, right? Extremely oh. popular, solid work. The crowd loves him, but that, if you took idea. if you took John Bon Jovi in the late '80s, John Cena, and combined them into one in a 240 pound muscular Japanese package, that's Tanahashi. Um, just he's he's so next level good. Um, just to be able to say that I've called his matches in my era of wrestling, I will have called matches involving everybody from Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock, John Cena, Randy Orton, Tanahashi, Okada, Kenny Omega, The Young Bucks, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole bunch of other names in the middle that I'm just showing, like the beginning and the end. I got Chris Jericho. I'm a massive. Oh, yeah. Right. Jericho. Look at Jericho's importance in the industry can never be understated. Making the leap as he did that moment at the uh, all state arena when he came out and debuted raw as Jericho. We knew it was coming. The fans went crazy when CM Punk debuted for debuted for AEW. The only thing that I was just it gave me chills and it gave every wrestling fan chills. But I thought about Jericho. And like Jericho must be having flashbacks to that time because it was as big as that. So don't say that something was the biggest thing ever because something might be coming down the pike. Yes, it took 21 years, but it's the beauty of the sport. It, it's perpetual. It's evergreen. It will last forever. They were doing two things back in the caveman days. They were wrestling each other and they were running races. <laughs> so I think there's going to be wrestling around for a long time. Whether like or not old people... Terry Funk line, I think. Or yeah, right. Like that. That's great, man. But that's what that's what um, that's the beauty of wrestling. And there's something for everybody. Don't think you're locked in. If, if fans are like, what's this AEW? Go watch it. Go check it out. But you could you could put that on at any point and somebody's going to find something that they like. They may, they may not like everything, but that's OK, too. Trust me, I wasn't turning handsprings in Florida for uh you know undercard matches or mid-card matches i didn't want to see bubba douglas wrestle right but i loved it when he helped dusty screw over ivan koloff and get sir oliver humperdinck 30 days in the hole okay <laughs> there's nonsense and there's wrestling there was jack briscoe and, and dory funk jr but 
Eddie Graham booked the midgets and the girls underneath because nobody was going to wrestle as good as Dory Funk Jr. and Jack Briscoe. And excuse me for saying midgets, but that's what they were called in the early 70s. <laughs> so we talk about, I, I just love, because you're an encyclopedic knowledge. I didn't, I, I figured this is actually going to be the first of a couple of conversations that we yes. have. I've enjoyed it greatly. So I appreciate your time, first off. Now, we talked about some great moments that you've been a part of in the professional wrestling space. You're okay. a play-by-play guy. Yeah. You're watching, you're watching Florida State. You're watching the great Gene Deckerhoff. Were there, are there any moments in Florida State history that reach out to you and be like, man, I wish I could have called that? Any plays in particular? Uh, opening play of scrimmage. Uh, Florida, Florida State, Doe Campbell Stadium, 1989, Casey Weldon to Lawrence Dossie, touchdown. <laughs> That's great. You were Florida. there for that one, I imagine, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the reason why it took me five and a half years to graduate because I had to. I, yeah, you were I, holding on for the championship. I wanted to stick around for the, uh, for the last football season to do Seminole Uprising. Then I ribbed myself because I changed minors and I had to take 18 credits oh, my last crazy. semester to graduate because I, I couldn't extend beyond that. I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, yeah. I've got to finish next term. Cause I was working at little Caesars. Oh, uh, I was just managing smelling like just smelling like imitation pepperoni all the time. Oh, <laughs> it was gross. I was drinking beers. I was, partying and i was taking a full boat of classes and doing seminal uprising and keeping up with wrestling so i was fried so i had to get out of there but i i was able to emerge from that so that's one play that stands out but there's definitely some iconic moments in florida state history now kevin if you'll indulge me okay you're a play-by-play wrestling announcing legend if i well, read off if i read off some some Florida state plays. If I describe, them, would you mind giving me like a call that you might've done if I describe them? Wow. Uh, Putting you on the spot. You don't have to. I'll try. It'll probably sound like a Gene Decker off impression. Well, that'll be fine. Cause I can't do one. Okay. Uh, all right. I need like a little bit of info. Okay. All right. I'm going to paint a picture for you as best I can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 1999 national championship game. Florida Ooh. state is actually locked in a decent battle between not Virginia tech, you're playing against Michael Vick. Yeah. Chris Winkie, the ultra productive, ultra old Florida state quarterback goes back in the pocket, does a wonderful play action fake throws a bomb to the best player in college football that year. And one of the best ever Peter Wark in the end zone, in the mm -hmm. end zone, Peter Wark bobbles the catch reels it in for a touchdown. And what some people feel is the best play in Florida state history in the national championship game go wait down in distance does it matter was it third uh, and five sure i think all right. so <laughs> all right third and five from the virginia tech 42 yard line wanky drops back and going deep is peter warwick wanky avoids the rush throws it deep throws it deep warwick's got it warwick bobbles three two one touchdown seminoles touchdown seminoles peter warwick has done it yeah. yeah oh that was pretty good that was good <laughs> I, and i heard i heard the decker off at the end that was great all right oh, yeah. maybe just a couple more that was, okay that was, this that was is fun first and goal Ooh. 2013 national championship game <gasps> 17 seconds left yep travis We've got Benjamin. florida state in the i formation you've got fullback chad abram motions out to the right looks like a run feels like a run it's not a run Jameis winston gets the pass he goes back he does a play action throws a high arcing pass to his physical specimen of a wide receiver kelvin benjamin kelvin benjamin. makes a contested touchdown catch in the end zone to effectively end one of the best national championship games of all time and give the seminoles the win agreed all right uh all right on the five, right? I believe so. First yeah. and goal. 17 First seconds. and goal. All right. 17 seconds left. National championship game. First and five for the Seminoles. First down, five yards to go. Can they do it? And they're in an I formation. Here's the snap. Jameis Winston. Play action pass. Play action pass. Calvin Benjamin. Caught touchdown. Touchdown, Seminoles. They've done it. They take the lead. 14 seconds left. 
My God, Florida State has done it. <laughs> I love it because it's shit on what Britt, Britt Musburger, God rest his soul. Uh, actually, I don't know if he's dead or not. I don't know why I said that. Um, one of the more abysmal play-by-play jobs he's ever done in that national championship game, just a reanimated corpse. Kevin Kelly, shit all over it. Yeah, sorry. It was, it was a late night. It was a long game. When, um, don't tell me his name. I can picture him. It was the only play he ever made for Florida State. The kickoff return. Kermit he Whitfield. A, he had a goofy nickname. What was it? Kermit. Kermit Whitfield. Lamonte Whitfield. Re- Lamonte. Kermit. Yeah. I was trying to think of somebody else. They give like some goofy nicknames at Florida State for Florida State wide receivers. Yeah, we got one um, right now. Pokey. Pokey. I kind of like Ontario Wilson. I like Pokey. Yeah. Uh, I also like Biscuit. Who's that? What's his name? That tight end who lost some weight? Marquise. Markinson Douglas? Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Biscuit? <laughs> I didn't know that. I'm that, that, that was the in the, um, I was watching the coaches interviews the other day. And called a biscuit. Kenny Dillingham said, uh, oh, Biscuit? Oh, yeah, he's doing great. Great guy, great guy. <laughs> he's fantastic. But it was a late night. Yeah, Kermit Whitfield made the one play that he ever made at Florida State. The one guy, who was the dude who pulled his hammy for Auburn? Oh, God. Like how right. bad, how I bad mu- he must have felt. It. Right. So they they got out of position. The one dude pulls his hammy and bursts the sidelines up the field. And there you go. But um, who was, I can't, I was trying to think of his name before we did this interview. Number nine. For Florida State, tailback. Carlos Williams. Carlos Williams. How about that one run? Because they had moved him from safety. Correct. To the backfield. Mm-hmm. And like one of the first touches he got earlier in the season, it was in this, it was like the first drive of the second half and Florida state hadn't, what else is new hadn't done so great in the first half. And he took the ball and they had started to put some things together. And it may have been the first play of the fourth quarter, excuse me. And he took the ball around the the right side on a handoff and streak to the end zone. I've never seen anybody run so hard and so fast in that, in that moment. Great straight line speed. And you saw it that next year against Clemson to win that game in overtime. What a difference maker he was. And then he got too many concussions as a pro and that was it. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of promise, a lot of promise there. Now, Kevin, I'm going to do the last one. This is one of my personal favorite plays. Okay. Greg Jones, my personal favorite player running back early two thousands. Oh yeah. I think you've seen the play that I'm referencing. Okay. Takes the handoff, runs down the field against North Carolina. Who does he meet? All-American defensive back Dexter Reed. What does my friend Greg Jones do? He charges up his Adukin fist and punches through Dexter Reed's sternum, Mm -hmm. sending him at least four feet in the air. Would have gone further, except he hit the back of another player and his helmet shot off from a stiff arm. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll say, I don't know what the down and distance is. We'll say it was second and eight from second the and Florida eight. State 39. Okay. All yeah. right. Sec- second and eight, Florida State 39. Important that they make some yardage here. You'd love to have third and short. There's the handoff. Greg Jones takes the ball around the left-hand side. Greg Jones breaks free. There's Dexter Reed. Oh, my God. He's just reached into Dexter Reed's chest, pulled out his still-beating heart, shows it to him. What a play. What a play by Greg Jones. First down, Florida State. Kalima, he pulled the temple of doom and showed him his heart. Kevin, I think that's as great of a moment as we can to end this interview. I, I enjoyed myself thoroughly. This was great. I hope I didn't take up too much of your time. Kevin, we'll, we'll be speaking, especially during the season. Yes. Now, tell the people where they can see your work, the great stuff you're doing for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Where can the people find you? Well, if you want to send me a quick note professing your uh, thoughts and predictions on the upcoming Florida State season or, you know, recipes, anything uh, at on Twitter at Real Kevin Kelly. Great follow. Wonderful gentleman. Then uh, for wrestling fans, again, if you're looking for that alternative, you want to get something new, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and it's all streamed so you can see every single event live. Uh, on streaming video right through your computer or on your smartphone at njpwworld.com. There's both Japanese commentary and English commentary. I do the English commentary because my Japanese isn't isn't so good. Um, 
and we're getting ready for two stadium events on September 4th and 5th. Come there, won't on. Be, there won't be a lot of people in there because of COVID restrictions. They're not as far along as America is, um, but they're still going to be exciting. They're going to be in a dome, uh, wrestle Grand Slam. And then on September 18th, I am going to be in Japan calling the entire G1 Climax tournament live with English commentary. Every single event starts on September 18th, ends on October 21st. We start in Osaka. We finish in Tokyo. We'll take on most of the country. And every event is going to be live with English commentary uh, on njpwworld.com. The best wrestling tournament there is, and it's not even close. Check it out. My personal favorite in the entire promotion is Minoru Suzuki. Is he in the G1? Not this year, but Minoru Suzuki is going to be in the United States while the G1 Climax tournament is going on. Not only is he going to be competing on New Japan Strong tapings in Texas and Philadelphia, uh, September 25th and 26th, Garland, Texas, and then I think the 17th, 18th of October in Philly at the 2300 Arena. He's also going to be making appearances for GCW, for PWX in the Charlotte area. So he's going to be all over. So fans all over America are going to have a chance to see Trey's favorite wrestler, Minoru Suzuki. And he'll be your favorite, too. If you've never heard of him, never seen him. He is the most brutal, most vicious man alive. Legend. A former king of Pancrase and mixed martial arts pioneer. And he's a legend, much like Kevin Kelly. You're a legend, my friend. I had an absolute blast. Me, too. Thank you for your support with the triple option and the X's and Knolls. We will... I'd love to talk to you again in the future, maybe sometime during the season. Maybe yeah. So there's some, other, might have some other stuff cooking. Who knows? Maybe let's see next week. Who knows? Now, I hope let's everybody see. visits the Patreon so that Kevin can get some cool editing equipment and really just jazz this thing up beyond belief. He's a poor grad assistant. The poor, the poor guy's living off dry ROM and like a, like a disheveled Ugh. bum underneath the bridge. Give him, let the poor kid eat. He needs to, I sold, I sold little Caesar's pizzas for food stamps. Come on, man. This is how I got over when I was in college, which I <laughs> statute of limitations has expired on that. I hope, right? Help Kevin, Kevin out. He's a starving man, please. I love you, Kevin Kelly. It was a Thanks, pleasure. Thanks, Trey. Same here. See you, my friend. Thank you.